And that means it's time for the first hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future program. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Ladies and gentlemen, KSEO presents the Dr. Future Show. If you would like to join in our show today, you can call us at 831-479-1080. That's 831-479-1080. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Future Tuesday. Yes, it is. Indeed, Mrs. Future. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. And I believe Bobby just got out of the... Skin out of his teeth. (laughs) Bobby Wilder, where have you been? Good to see you, buddy. Well, he's here. That's the important thing. I'm here, yeah, finally. (laughs) Sorry to be late. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. No worries. Anyway, we got beautiful sunny weather here. Uh, You got the fog of San Francisco? Yeah, Yeah, there's a little fog today. Yesterday was sunny, but, you know, not today. Okay. Well, then. Um, we're off to a good start. It's beautiful here. It was. Uh, I just got a report from our water guy that it was foggy in Boulder Creek near the golf course this morning, and it wasn't where we were, believe it or not. So, yeah, good weather is following that. us. So, yeah. as usual, the future looks bright from our point of view. And I found out we have all kinds of microclimates in the Bay Area. Like we had a gathering of our neighbors uh, for Two Bar Road. Oh yes, we have Road. to say thanks to Rob and Terry Johnson, former residents at the Johnson old Farm. Johnson Farm, where a lot of us got our Christmas trees for many, many years before it was sold to Bill Watkins a few yes. years ago. Right. But anyway, former so, CEO of Seagate. Yes, but man. Mr. Johnson, Rob Johnson, mm-hmm. had a neighbors' party because he's been researching history. Of our neighborhood up there in Boulder Creek, and yeah, it was and, so fun. And there was a, a banana zone on Tubar Road in Boulder Creek where it was super warm and you could grow more tropical types of crops. That's right, and it's typically 10 to 20 degrees warmer than everywhere else on Tubar Road, we learned. Yeah, <laughs> so that's probably <laughs> true in a lot of valleys yeah. throughout the Bay Area. And that's here. just yeah. a natural climactic phenomenon because the cool air from... The fog uh, two other mm-hmm. zones sinks into a valley and then somehow gets warmed up again or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be explored further yeah. as we evolve. So a lot of news uh, today. We've got Dr. Bruce Lipton coming in around 2.30. So we'll try to get through some of the Dr. Future, Mrs. Future, Bobby Wilder news before uh, we delve into the biology of belief and beyond. Yes, indeed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, how many of you saw that new robot that Elon Musk revealed at his AI conference last week? I did. Did you see that, Bobby? The, the, the Optimus. Yes. The Optimus, yeah. yes. The Optimus. Right very there. impressive. Yeah. yeah. Roboticists were impressed by how fast uh, they had assembled Optimus. I think the criticism was it wasn't quite as good as those Boston Dynamic robots that we've seen with the dog <laughs> spot. <laughs> Like that. But, but they did this in six months, which is like that's stunning. right. That's right. It's insane yeah. amount of time. It's a bipedal machine. It looks like a human in that sense, and it will be sold as a general purpose bot that's cheaper than a car. He's talking about less than twenty thousand dollars, and equally capable of either working in a factory or doing chores at home. 
like um, getting you a beer or uh, <laughs> <laughs> doing the dishes or sweeping the carpets. And because it's human designed with opposable thumbs, it can use human appliances like vacuum cleaners. It's <laughs> just what we need. <laughs> can push buttons for dishwashers, all that good stuff. <laughs> Well, you know, apparently a lot of people in the robotics community, just like when Tesla came out in the car community, the robotics community says, oh, this is no big deal. And apparently what they're really bragging about isn't how outstanding Optimus is, but how quickly the team rallied to develop this $20,000 robot. Right, that's what Bobby was saying. Six months to create yeah. something like this? Unbelievable. Right. right. They yeah. had two models. You know, just the first one that was completely autonomous, could walk out on the stage without Well, any the first one feathers. is their working, working model. model. Yeah, they haven't put the outer skin on it yet because they're still tweaking the dials. But what I thought was really cool, I really liked their joint design. I liked the way that the engineers described how the knees work. Mm-hmm. And just the way that the engineers are approaching the problem really communicates an artistic mind. And I loved how Elon expressed that his job as a CEO is to create an environment that allows engineers to thrive. You know, I think every employer could take a note from that to create an environment that lets, that encourages their people to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll work. You'll work more hours, <laughs> but you'll well, be able to manifest your dreams. When when work promise, feels uh, like it's your passion uh-huh. and when it feels like you're, you're really manifesting your dreams. Yeah, you want to put time into it, right? It's, you wouldn't even call it work. It's purpose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, so, I was uh, very was encouraged by it. I know a lot of people aren't technoids like we are and they're not roboticists, but I thought that was a very inspiring yeah, demo. Yeah, well, one day these robots will be as common as... Vacuum cleaners. <laughs> he was talking about a million uh, on a no assembly way. line. Right? Vacuum cleaners yeah. are yeah. in the low hundreds. Robots well, are in the high thousands. All right, as common as cars <laughs> then, okay? No, yeah, well, no, it's supposed to be cheaper than a car. That's cheaper yeah, cheaper than $20,000. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you yeah. can still yeah. pick up a car for less than that. Yeah. But can you hop on its back and take you to the store? Can you? Can yeah. your robot be You know, on? I imagine that the first use of these kind of robots that can do... Simple object recognition and can move somewhat like humans with yeah. some stability and security. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be used in some kind of help for elders. I would think that, you know, helping elders kind of, of course, navigate yeah. their world as their bodily uh, someone functions who needs, needs help in, in, in navigation in some way. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So. And, and in fact, they use the Tesla navigation system for the brains of this to recognize mm-hmm. objects. And yeah, that was fascinating to see that part of the show, mm-hmm. how yeah. uh, all the thought that's gone into the navigation system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean if, if they didn't have the navigation system, this thing would not work right and now. And the dojo supercomputer that uh, <laughs> takes all the data from all the Teslas out there and analyzes all the accidents and all the problems and, and improves the algorithm constantly. Yeah. That's a remarkable and, and, achievement. This dojo system, what they had was 72 racks, which, and in the racks were blades and blades and blades of these GPUs. That's what they were using before. Yeah. But now they can just have four of these refrigerator sized boxes, uh-huh. and it can outdo the 72 
rack systems that had hundreds of GPUs in them. Yeah. It's amazing what the, what they've done in, That's, to make the dojo. That shows you how powerful uh, those uh, supercomputers are getting. So yeah. this will be the supercomputer. I mean, when they finish building these out, it, yeah. it will surpass anything on the planet. And, mm -hmm. it will, and it will probably collect all the data from the robots as well as the cars mm -hmm. as they navigate. Yeah, exactly. It uses the same brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 In fact, I also thought what they said about AI was very interesting, how a lot of the cutting-edge research in AI has moved out of gaming and has moved into sensing recognition and intuitive learning i guess i don't know really the words that they use but there's new ways that programs are being taught to learn and tesla is very much on the cutting edge of making that happen yeah and i like the way that they went into great detail about how they are making it happening like the optimus bot seems to use a, a walking method known in robotics as zero moment point or a zmp it's a method of locomotion that's been in use for decades uh, deploys uh, it's been deployed in um, Hondas as a Mobot, for example. Mm -hmm. And you can see the resemblance and how the knees are bent and how it's a semi-crouch and it shifts its weight from one foot to another. And that it's a pretty safe approach that's been around for a while. It's using some well-known robotic techniques yeah. already and they don't have to create new ones just yet. They can use all the existing ones and put it into a better body, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So lots of interesting. Yeah. So I suggest you check it out. There. We've got a link on our, our website uh, to and that, drfutureshow.com. You know, Elon does believe that there will be the laws of robotics, as in Arthur C. Clarke. Thou shall not harm a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll be right back. Uh, we uh, got another interesting story <laughs> regarding uh, Musk and uh, the Ukraine. It's oh quite yeah. Curious. That's turning some Okay, welcome back to the show. This is a rather interesting story as it kind of is at the intersection of science and politics <laughs> and social media. Elon Musk did a controversial thing this weekend where he proposed a peace plan for the war in Ukraine on, on Twitter. Twitter. On Twitter and had people vote for it. That's right. He <laughs> and it consisted people of to please, please answer this poll. Four suggestions, like, like uh, including that Crimea which was invaded by Russia in 2014 and currently occupied, that that becomes part of Russia, that the Ukraine doesn't join NATO. And as of 10 o'clock a.m. this morning, I believe, 2.6 million people voted. 59.4% said no, actually. Hmm. So, and do we know how many of those are bots? No, and that's what he's yeah. investigating now. Let's get to see. Well, okay, 59.4% voted for uh, not to have any of those territories become part of Russia. And, yeah. And uh, on the world. This is, you know, Twitter all around the planet. Yeah. And so far, how many are bots is a good question. Yeah. Maybe that's why I, he I, now I, is, wants to buy Twitter again to uh, <laughs> clarify its uh, ability to actually take accurate polls. Sure. Make it more better. I, I, more I better. think he's just demonstrating that there are a lot of bots on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> you know, his first complaint was when he was taking the poll was, yeah. "Oh, I have." He had a problem with the bots, mm -hmm. you know. So he he was critical of the poll in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, he's more of the kind of guy of a uh, robots, not bots. 
<laughs> well, bots should clearly identify themselves and they should be segregated from humans. Yeah. <laughs> One of the first suggestions in that poll that you didn't mention is mm -hmm. that he suggested that the referendum be handled again by the UN oversight and with UN standards. So it was a more of a of a high profile, a globally respected, respected decision. Decision so people would recognize it. And then he also yeah. suggested that if Putin lost the UN supervised referendum, then he would leave those areas of the Ukraine where the referendum didn't go his way. Of course, couched in that is what if the referendum did go his way, would then Ukraine release their hold on it? Um, well, I think both sides have to agree to the outcome for it to and, take deeper meaning. And yeah, and the rationale for Elon's description of letting Russia keep Crimea was going back to the forming of the Soviet Union in, I guess, the 1700s. About the same time of our American Revolution, the Soviet Union Revolution, was those people were unifying with Russia back then. And so that kind of perspective is one you don't get in the news. It's almost like our news has become so stupid. We don't have Walter Cronkite anymore telling us the history of the world. We have to go to the Internet and listen to the reporters like Sam Harris and well, try and get a perspective, right? I don't know. If the, if the Internet is becoming some kind of real species exonervous system, then perhaps the Twitter polls, if once they're shown to be more accurate, could be part of the voting system. Absolutely. This hey, is... You know, uh, Bruce Lipton just walked in the room. Why don't we get his opinion? Bruce. What do you Bruce. think? Do you Bruce? have thoughts on all of these yeah. items? Here. Here's a question. Here, Repeat the question. So we've gone, you know, we're talking about Elon Musk's poll on Twitter. Yeah, this is a big thing. Yes, this yesterday, uh, Elon used Twitter to uh, take a poll to vote Three on the choices world. to vote on suggestions for how to resolve the issue in, in Ukraine, right? And now he's coming from a humanitarian point of view. He's saying, look, both of these sides, we can avoid a lot of bloodshed if people can just cut to the chase. So the poll that he put out there, the first thing he wanted people to agree upon was whether or not there should be a new referendum in the disputed territories, which was managed and supervised by the UN, according to global standards. The second question he asked was if Putin would agree to leave if the referendum didn't go his way. And then the third suggestion was to allow Crimea to remain part of Russia's territory because the history of that country being part of Russia goes back to the 1700s when the Soviet Union was forming and therefore those boundaries should be up for discussion. 2.6 billion people voted already on this, <laughs> on a global scale. This reminds me of a sign I see when I drive into town here and it says it doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the votes. Oh, isn't that always <laughs> true? Well, in this case it would, it would be, yeah. in this case it would be Twitter. <laughs> yeah, bots. The idea is that public opinion, public opinion is being harnessed here to try to solve world problems. With the idea that bloodshed can be averted if there can be Listen a cut-to-the-chase yeah. kind of conversation. And the, this affects politicians, right? The, Public the, opinion. This move by yeah. Putin is so anti-evolution that it's so barbaric in its way of trying to understand each other on this planet mm -hmm. that it's very hard to deal with someone who comes from that mentality. So yeah, it, it is. It's old violence. world. It's it old really world. is. The, we thought we had transcended this generation. We thought war was obsolete. Turns out we still have 
warlords who think if they don't get their way, this is the way to tell the world they're serious. Yeah, but then, uh, you know, how does a sane population deal with an insane person? This, you know, this becomes an issue. It's like same thing with North Korea. These are well, even crazier. Well, I think calling him insane really undermines the level that we need to have the understanding, the compassionate understanding, because I don't think it is insane. I think oh, it's okay. old school yeah. reasoning. I go, I agree with you 100%, old school because that's, you know, when we start talking about programming, mm -hmm. people are programmed, 95% of their life is programmed. It's passed from generation to generation to generation unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it turns out 95% of an individual's life is not coming from their spiritual source, creative, conscious mind. 95% of our lives come from the programs that we got, especially before seven. And this is how the Jesuits have told people for 400 Forever. years, give me yeah. a child until it's seven and I'll show you the man. So it's whatever happened in that first seven years. All right, so we've got so a man who is conditioned to be a bully. Yes. And who was groomed for leadership of a country that has a history of bullying to get its way. And he's looking at the world from a point of view of his legacy. He's about to, you know, he's getting to be old and probably people are going to kill him. Turning 70 this month. Nobody's, nobody's doing what they said in the 90s. He feels like the, everybody's breaking their promises except him. And he's using that as an excuse. So when bullies in playgrounds are a problem, there's a whole strategy in our modern compassionate culture of getting the victims to be protected by the bystanders. And you could say that's what maybe NATO should be embracing that because NATO is saying, we're going to attack you. So they're not saying that we're going to protect the victims. They're going to say we're going to attack Russia because Russia is the aggressor. So it's really turning the world into a war game instead of turning the bystanders into those supporting peace. We're in an evolutionary upheaval right now. Mm -hmm. And the structure of the system is collapsing in so many different ways. This is another brick in the wall, so to speak, that's coming down. And it just basically says to move into the future and survive. And I'm not talking a thousand years from now because even NASA has recognized next couple of decades is going to see, and I emphasize, irreversible collapse of industrial civilization. We're in the process right now. So there are two ways to look at things that go on here. And the, and the one way that I look at it is like, oh, it's it's coming down. <laughs> this is really great, you know. The uh, other people are going, "Oh my God, this thing is falling down," and they're freaking out. And, the, and yeah. the idea is, no, it has to come down. And so things yeah, we've from been the killing past, the earth. We have to stop doing right. that. And well, th the things from the rising past. from the ashes, kind of. Uh, yeah. Huh? But things from the past yeah. that we haven't dealt with. This is why things come up, like Black Lives Matter, Me Too generation, green yeah. people. These have to be dealt with to move into the future. Yeah. And the negative things have to be dealt with to move into the future. So it really becomes upon a, as a world referendum at some point to say, look, you're facing an extinction. That's a reality of science. <laughs> and the only way out of this is to change the behavior. And the issue of changing the behavior is you've got to throw, you know, get cracks in the old system so that we can start to make a new behavior. Mm -hmm. To the point where you believe it happens. Like a lot of people didn't believe the damage that the hurricane uh, Ian was going to have, so they didn't move until the last minute. So, uh, <laughs> Well, this is the wake-up yeah. call of the world, and, and yeah. all of us are involved in this thing. And the, and the point is, 
this is the hardest point because it's a straightforward piece of science. It's just like clear-cut quantum physics, principle number one. Hmm. Consciousness is creating our life experience. That's basically what it says. It's like, well, we keep looking for other sources. No, it's coming from us. Thoughts, words, and actions. And that's where, if we're going to evolve as a people, then that consciousness has to be elevated at this time because the consciousness we have been living in has undermined the web of life. <laughs> yeah. And when the web goes, humans go because uh, we're not separate from that web of life. We derive from that web of life. Oh. Yes. Very alive. And, and how we derive and why we separate from it would be interesting questions to ask you. But after the break, we have Dr. Bruce Lipton in the studio. He just arrived early. We thought he'd get him into a political discussion because that's what we talk about often on talk radio. Uh, but now we'll get more into science uh, after the break. We're right back. Okay, we're back. It's the Dr. and Mrs. Future Show with Bobby Wilder on the line. That's our science correspondent. Uh, and uh, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton in the studio, who hardly needs an introduction this morning, one of our famous local scientists. Oh, yes. Yeah. In the bowels <laughs> of the medical school. Yes. <laughs> Originally cellular biologist, uh, now... Now, uh, Earth, uh, planet... Uh, survivalist, well, <laughs> planetary <laughs> humanitarian. Yeah, and uh, a philosopher. I think you're a bit of a philosopher. As yeah, well, you yeah. know, and, and it's real exciting because I'm sitting on the edge of writing this book, which is just like, I've been holding it up for about 20 years, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is like, who the hell do I think I am kind of issue because the, the theory of evolution that transcends Darwin <laughs> by a million miles. And, oh. and it's a theory of evolution that invokes Lamarck, who's the original founder of evolution. And it's an evolution theory we can thrive with instead of struggle. You know, the, the conventional theory, life, you know, is a struggle, <laughs> a competition for survival. Yeah, so basic tenets of the, of the Well, that, that becomes a cultural norm. So that yeah. all of a sudden it's like so it's okay to, you know, uh, attack the other person if you get something, you know, you, who's the fittest? I say, well, what determines the fittest? You know, it's not like uh, intelligence, you know, I mean, Einstein in one sense could have been the fittest, but a guy with an Uzi <laughs> it could also be just as fit, mm. uh, you know, in, in the end of a competition. So, well, they say the pen is mightier than the sword, but every so often the, uh, the sword wins. <laughs> the sword cuts deep. <laughs> it cuts, yeah, it cuts, <laughs> timing is everything. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's, yeah. A, it's a much better way of looking at the world and this mm. new insight. And it's based on epigenetics and quantum mm. physics. And so it really transcends the um, 1800s version of uh, of the theory by Darwin. Which, quite frankly, is where most of us are hanging out still in our belief most system, everyone, right? everyone, including the government people who are trying to, you know, look how we plan for the future. Well, it's a struggle for survival. There's competition. How are we going to handle the competition? And then all of a sudden, all this political, you know, mobilization of, you know, suppressing the competition. This is what we're, you know, like uh, the political scene in the U.S. today, you know, Republicans and Democrats uh, each suppressing, you know, some portion of the population. Why? Competition. Uh, who gets the vote? Who controls the, uh, yeah, the vote? I've I've speculated many times about what it would be like if people got rewarded for lifting people up, right? <laughs> this is so what evolution was all about. 
human, the term human comes from the word compassion. And it's like, well, okay, we're not de really doing well with the compassion aspect of our humanness at this time. Mm -hmm. But that's a necessary part of the future, what is human. And, you know, a lot of people, it gets very careful because some people talk about the new world order and like that. And I, yeah. I don't want to say new world order. I'm not into that political realm, but there's a new order, but it's not what that is. The, the mm. new order is that each of us is a cell in the body of a larger organism the called species, humanity. The species organism. In a humanity, way. yeah. Humanity, so we're, yeah. we're just a cell in the community. You know, like a body is made out of cells, 50 trillion of them, and then we have a human. Now we have 8 billion humans as cells. But we're, we're, we're another bigger. level of complexity beyond cells, though, right? With our individuated uh, well, identities. This is, and, yeah, this is, uh -huh. this is the important part of recognizing, you know, for hundreds of thousand years, archaeologists dig up sites and they go, look, they're using the same tools, they're living the same way, you know, it was the same, the same, the same for a couple hundred thousand years. Yeah. 30,000 years ago, technology began to show up. It was very slow at first, you know, like they made a plow. Well, that, that you know, rough plow was a thousand years that, at some that, point. That you know. revolutionized farming. Which well, it ultimately through evolution. To, but but here's the, the cool part. Softer. <laughs> because there was such a spurt all of a sudden after nothing and all of a sudden technology jumped in. Uh, the conventional point of view is, well, was there a brain change? You know, was no. the anatomy of the brain change and we became more, you know, creative? You eat the mushrooms or, in the field. Well, that was the original plan. <laughs> <laughs> or was there a genetic alteration that made us smarter? Yeah. Turns out that's, you know, the conventional procedure. How did something get smarter? Yeah. But it turns out it's when population started to get big enough where people could share information. And all of a sudden, that's what technology was based on. It wasn't based on any individual. It's like how many individual little discoveries created a computer. Well, I see, like a critical mass of cells in a way that starts differentiating. Absolutely. It look, yeah. a, it look a computer took 30,000 individual discoveries. But, you know, individual little discoveries accumulated, come together, and then manifest a computer. Yeah. But you couldn't do it if, you know, three guys sitting around a fire at night looking up at the stars going, hey, give me a bone, you know, something like that. Uh, uh, basically, no, I didn't mean a smoking one. Uh, <laughs> or, or a girlfriend. No, no, a son was already there. So. That's right. Or your cave girl. I can imagine yeah. three guys sitting around a fire who could do that now. Well, we could <laughs> and probably do better than the ones in Washington, you know, so, yeah, well, but it basically said that as the population increased, the in collective intelligence of the population increased, okay, yeah. so that's what evolution was based on. How many individual perceptions can you put together and create something? It wasn't genetic and it wasn't brain, it yeah. was just community. Yeah, I've heard that Homo sapiens sapiens had that ability to collaborate more than the uh, Neanderthals, and that's one of the reasons why we are the uh, descendants. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe it was the language thing, uh, you know, yeah. especially coming up with a real language versus uh, a lot of um, Grunts. gesturing <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it, but so we're on that evolutionary track right now. And the idea is the way we've been living has upended the, the web of life. It's falling apart right in front of us, you know, the air, the water, the soil, the climate change, all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff is coming on. And it's really pushing us and it says, if you want to survive, you cannot do life the way we are doing it up to this moment. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's as fundamental as stop soiling our nest? 
uh, start you know, stop, stop, stop soiling, soiling our, our nest. nest. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, there's yeah. no, you know, the throw it away. Well, that's I it. think there's another yeah. piece of it, too, because I do think that there's something about our culture that wasn't like this in the past, at least not as ubiquitous, which is this death mind. The most high-minded people in the world, when they think about gardening, their first thought is like how to poison the gophers or how to poison the weeds or they inculcate death rather than trying to understand the job that all these creatures in the garden have and try and work with them. Like kill and your enemy, I Just guess. my well, example yeah. from the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. they, they had this little rhyme for the farmers. When they wanted to, to plant, they would plant one for the birds and one for the mouse and one for the gophers and one for the house. And that was how you existed harmoniously in nature you didn't try and kill everything all the time and we have created a death cult a death worshiping civilization not only that the, the leftovers of that killing material is still here all the time destroying everything coming up in the future as well and in fact this is why the, the everyone talks about organic farming and i say well yeah organic farming is great you know the food is much better than regular but the real farming is biodynamic farming and that's the one you're talking about yeah. son that's the one that says yeah there's a whole ecosystem here not just the plants you put in the ground but the insects and the rodents and the birds and and all that and if you understand the dynamics then the production is, is, is fabulous mm. and yet that's an interesting point as well because old Billy Gates is buying up all the farmland mm -hmm. and and because of climate change uh, everyone talks about the water rising up at the coastal levels I go well that is a problem for sure but the bigger problem no one's really saying is in climate change you can't predict agriculture mm -hmm. you don't know if it's gonna get too hot too wet too dry too cold you you can't tell so all of a sudden prediction of food goes out the window mm -hmm. so the evolution is now these uh, high-rise indoor gardens. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they're three times more productive than outdoor gardens. Well, everybody yeah. is happy to let food production be an efficient commercial industry, but nobody wants to be enslaved by rich people refusing to honor individual human rights, which is the problem with the centralization of the food market. But this is local growing. Anywhere there's a building, you can make growing, uh, and all of a sudden it says... Well, and as long I, I, as it's a cottage industry and we all know each other, the whole rule is know your farmer. Know your community, yeah. not just your farmer. Right. Evolution is community. Yeah. We've been moving, see the difference in Darwinian theory, it's survival of the fittest. Me, I don't care about the rest. That's Darwinian versus the new version. It's no, it's us working together collectively that makes evolution. So uh, the Darwinian pursuit is, as I said, it's a culture inbred for 100 years now. Mm -hmm. Everybody, oh yeah, survival of the fittest, life is a struggle, go with the rat race and all that. And I go, that consciousness is not in quantum physics. Consciousness is creating our reality. That consciousness is manifesting a reality that we find right now almost like, oh my God, what are we doing? And we're manifesting it. So that consciousness that's ruining the world right now has always been with us, but it has never had as much power. And what I'm talking about is the victim, rescuer, persecutor mindset, yes, yeah. right? The people who rise to the top of the heat with the idea that they're going to save some victims, and then they actually become the persecutor who inculcate the violence that instead of de-escalating the violence, it spreads it. The who had a word for that, okay. 
Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a song I know. <laughs> uh, right. uh, yeah, and so we're just per, you know perpetuating this, this downhill thing. And, it's and like, yet it's a minority of the people in the world. Like our consciousness is so much more vast than this one thread, and yet this one thread keeps ruining it for everybody. Well, I think it's because people don't recognize that when 1% of the population has the wealth, the other 99% are slaves. If you think about it, because you, you want to you get your money, you're going to recognize that. Yeah. I think that's been pretty <laughs> well, well recognized. Well, it's just why, been getting dumber. That's why Elon Musk invented Optimus, the new <laughs> domestic robot, <laughs> replaces slavery and, and probably everything we do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, know. you know, I, I was just talking about my dear friend is Greg Braden, and yes. we were talking about transhumanism, and, and uh -huh. the idea is like, oh yeah, you know, we could so much advance the human brain. I said. You haven't even experienced what the human brain can absolutely do. Hmm. And I say, you know what you leave out of the, you know, I said, you should add this to your discussion. I said, what? I said, they're called idiot savants. <laughs> right. And I go, what's an idiot savant? He said, well, the guy who could take one shot vision of a city and then go back home and draw every building that was in that city just the way it was. It was like a rain man. Yes. Uh, it was people who have a, an ability to mathematically do things that only computers can do. Yeah. I said, that is a function of the human brain. We're not tapping into it. Now those are we call those are idiot savants yeah. because they're maybe, operating differently. Maybe we have access to that. Uh, uh, we've got to have access. It's built into the system. It's not, you know, that, that's the way it works. But we doors of perception are closed down. Ah, yes, well, there you go. Maybe there's an instruction manual we can check. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to go to a break. We'll be right back. Dr. Dr. Bruce Lipton. Yes, uh, during the break, we were talking to Dr. Bruce Lipton about the connection between fear, stress, and disease. Very interesting relationship between those, those ideas. Could you tell the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the world's in a healthcare crisis. It's been this way for a long time. It's not getting any better. And the more money we throw out, it guess what? It's still not getting any better. Yeah. And yet science has come up with an understanding that the public has no awareness of. And that understanding is a simple fact. And that fact is this less than 1% of disease is even connected to genes. And all of a sudden that brings up the question, then where the hell is 99% of the <laughs> disease coming from? And it turns out over 90% is due to stress. Stress, uh, mean like um, uh, certain kinds of hormones being triggered by fear-based Well, uh, that is the consequence stimulation. of stress. That's a consequence, uh, okay? So there's yeah. a response. And basically we have two protection systems in the body. The internal protection is immune system. Anything gets on the inside, that's going to protect me on the inside. But we call it the adrenal system, the fight or flight system that protects us from threats on the outside. So the idea, here, here's the scenario of what, what happens. And if you understand, it's like, oh, my God, this is the whole cause of disease. And it goes like this. When you're being chased by that saber-toothed tiger, 
The organs you need in your body are very simple. Arms and legs. <laughs> yeah. Let's That's the only ones you need. Yeah. You got run like hell. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Teeth, maybe. <laughs> uh, teeth but to, make, to yeah. make them work, you need the energy, and the energy's in the blood. So mm -hmm. I say, so before that tiger showed up, I say, where's the blood concentrated in the body? I say, most of it's concentrated in the gut. And I go, why? Well, this is where all the maintenance and cleaning of the body, repairing the body, filtering the body, you know, servicing the body is all the organs in this gut. Mm. But yeah. once you are in a threat, mm -hmm. then what happens is stress hormones, especially cortisol, when released in the system, this is what it does. It causes the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut. And that's when people feel that, like the fluttering in the stomach, butterflies in the stomach when they start to get afraid. And they go, that's the blood vessel squeezing shut. It cuts that's, off your brain, too. What's that? We it, didn't, oh, we're going to get there. Okay. That's number three. Yeah. So number one, yeah. when you squeeze the blood vessels in the gut, the blood is pushed now preferentially to the arms and legs. So that's why we can, so you can run better. We can run and get out of there, okay? Mm -hmm. Number two. The immune system uses a lot of energy, as we all well know. Anybody's been sick, you don't have the energy to get out of bed. That's because all the energy is going to, to fight it's going the disease. To, huh? to, 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 to fix the immune broken. system. To, yeah. yeah. But what if you have an infection and you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger? You're going to go to the saber-toothed tiger. tiger. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is where the energy system in the brain says, well, yeah. how should I spend the Survival. energy? Survival. <laughs> and the answer is very clear. The, the hell yeah. with the bacteria. If the tiger eats you, then you don't have a problem with bacteria anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. So what happens is stress hormones, listen, this is a fact, shut down the immune system to conserve energy so that you can escape the tiger, okay? Yeah. And it's so effective that doctors, when they transplant an organ from person A to person B, they don't want the recipient to reject the organ right away because it's yeah. foreign tissue. They give the recipient stress hormones before the operation because that reduces the immune the response. system's response to foreign transplant, wow. okay? Sure. So now we got wow. two things going. A, you shut down the maintenance of the body. Two, you shut down the immune system. And three, which you brought up, mm -hmm. the is, brain. is the fact that when you're in a, a fight or flight situation, conscious thinking is very slow. You're like, oh, you know, oh, before any thought of what Let's you get do. out of here. It's brainstem <laughs> it's time to Run! <laughs> you know? uh, so what yeah. happens is yeah. the same stress hormones squeeze the blood vessels shut in what is called the forebrain, where thinking occurs. Mm. Mm. And that pushes the extra blood to the hindbrain, where reactions and reflexes are. Mm. Yeah. So when you're in, the that, in, in that stress situation, yeah, then guess so. what? You become less intelligent because we're not using thinking. Now we're just using reflexes at that point. Yeah, so the thought generator shuts down and the reflexes. Well, you we're turn it over to the body. To no question. Yeah. So now I say, yeah. so when the system was developed, what were we afraid of? I said, saber-toothed tiger. And I go, yeah, so 10, 15 minutes running, you get away from that saber-toothed tiger, and then guess what? Stress response gone. It's over with. We're back to normal. But <laughs> Catch today's world is constantly you know, being stimulated. Oh, people are making money well, every time you're afraid, oh, so you never stress. get a break. Never get a break. It's, I know, that's it's it. It's all right? day. Yeah. And the system wasn't designed to do that. So I said, yeah. what is the consequence of dripping the stress hormones in all day? And everything from traffic people who get all crazy and shoot people, you know, they get all, everybody's crazy. Yeah, the local crime scene. And at some point, scene, it's like the... this. 
global this climate. This dripping of stress hormones yeah. on a continuous basis impairs the body to help it maintain itself. So right away, oh. this is so everyone one gets of the sicker, big sources right? of disease. Yeah. But a bigger impact comes, well, yeah, but now you're suppressing the immune system every day. Uh, and the more they, they talk about, like, the fear of COVID, they didn't realize, well, they did maybe realize that when you scare the people, their immune system got weaker, so now they're more open to the devastating problem. <laughs> I know, but the problem that you want to not be part of. Yeah. Like, like one of the big things on talk radio right now on, in, is the, the fear of uh, tactical nukes being used in the Ukraine. Do we ignore that? Because that affects, that could affect That us, affects right? the entire world, and this is yeah. where the world has to come to some kind of, okay, this is enough. You know, de-escalate, de-escalate, yeah. de-escalate. As a world movement, everybody, you know, it was interesting. When the trade towers went down and George Bush was there, Yeah, there was a couple of days in the world where the world united for a moment and said, let's end terrorism. And then he said, eh, no, I'm going to go bomb <laughs> Iraq. Yes, okay. So I had my it, we lost it. We lost it. Yeah. This might be another opportunity where the world collectively comes together and said, no, and even the people in his own country. So it has to be a global, like, no, we globally are going to have to evolve. But if we leave it up to the war merchants and the politicians and all no, that. No, well, that's why um, Musk took to Twitter to start to get everyone to think about this and everyone know what everyone's yeah. thinking well, as, I, a, as a way of maybe public opinion might shift the uh, warlords. Yeah, it's like, what do you offer the warlords to get them all to stop pushing the, the machine? Well, it's what you don't offer the warlords, and that is money. Warlords. Warlords. <laughs> Probably kind of fat. Yes. Yeah, without, without, the money, yeah. Yeah. without the money, there's yeah. not much they can do. Right. <laughs> do you want to take a quick call from Steve in Santa Cruz? Okay. All I right. Mean, let's, uh, let's see if he's, you know. if he's on topic with us. Uh, All right. Yeah. Steve, I assume you've been listening. You got any questions for our guest, Bruce Lipton? Elon Musk for world leader. Elon Musk for leader of the... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got a, an inquiry. I've been wanting to ask you guys, and it's a little bit off topic. Is that okay? Well, well maybe. We'll see. Yeah, as long as it's creative and inspiring. Yeah. I've been wanting to ask you guys about this because I think it's intriguing. I have an acquaintance that's involved with somebody that, that's basically friends with one of the creators of Joby, the flying car. Oh, yes, yeah, Joe Ben Bivera. Uh, his ben. parents for uh, Merry Pranksters. And now he's like our own Elon Musk here in Santa Cruz. That's right. <laughs> he's creating the first eVTOL, one of the first eVTOL aircraft. Yes. Yeah, so what, what is your thought yeah. about Joe Ben or your friend yeah. at Joby? My friend, you know, brought it up to me. And then when I heard a little more about it, I thought, uh, I want one. And they're opening another industrial site, maybe Moss Landing. I'm not sure. They they told me. but no, I Seaside, I believe. The first one was in Bonnie Doon. It is a secret right. lab in Bonnie, Bonnie Doon. Okay, two and, and a half minute reality check anyway, here. Anyway, we, we, uh, we want to get back to Bruce, but um, yeah, that's a yeah, very interesting okay. topic. Uh, we can talk about more about like, that next week, if you like. Okay, yeah, well, you, maybe that's better. Let's talk about it next week. I'd like to hear more from Dr. Futura, if this thing's a reality, if it can really be done, and, oh, yeah. and how long away. Yeah, I'll be happy to talk about awesome. it. Awesome. He, he's he's, he's one of the front runners, and the, there's a heated race going on right now in that arena. All right, so, thanks, Steve. Yeah. More, Thank more, you guys. more to come. Bye-bye. 
Yeah, you see, that's it. Technology uh, will also change the way we relate to each other. Sometimes it pushes the boundaries. It's like the Internet, um, Bruce, where you've often equated it to an exonervous system in a way. Well, it, yeah. it is if, if it's used appropriately. But it's like there's a technology and then there's use of technology. This is where it looks like communications was first to go global and free and cheap and connecting everyone. And now it looks like with this type of technology, transportation will be cheap and easy to go anywhere on the planet very quickly and easily. Via autonomous that, robot. That, that seems to be the next level of freedom that we need to be able to somehow embrace consciously. Well, uh, uh, in that process, of course, the first step yeah. is really the elimination of fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, they're all electric. So they're that, all going that's in that direction. That's yeah. the first step to, to really get out of this. So the new paradigm is not, not fossil fuel anymore. No, the, my yeah. goodness, because, uh, yeah. you know, when you burn something you always get waste products. So yeah. when you burn fuel, you don't breathe the stuff coming out of the exhaust pipe, okay? And this actually even happens just uh, coincidentally in the human body because we burn food for digestion and there's a waste product yeah. and it's called free radicals. And free radicals are like ion charged particle bullets that shoot and kill cells. So the more you eat, the shorter your lifespan. Oh. <gasps> Oh, that uh, uh, lifespan. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that. I, I, fast. Super size me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, one day we'll be able to live forever. <laughs> well, we should live to a minimum of 150 in conventional biology. Yeah. Really? Conventional yes. biology? Yes. Wow, interesting. If we love okay, we, ourselves. So we got to go to a break here. I believe in a, in a few minutes here. We're talking in to Dr. Bruce. In a few seconds. A few seconds. We're talking to Dr. <laughs> Bruce Lipton. Uh, we'll be continuing this conversation after the break, probably about immortality or uh, bi the, how biology might creators will be living but who knows you know you'll see <laughs> all right folks this is kseo santa cruz yeah. dr and mrs future and our guest bruce lipton and we've got bobby wilder yeah who's been strangely silent a lot of speak science up. there's so much to hear i know right it's time for the second hour of the dr and mrs future show and now your host dr future hey folks welcome back to the show uh, welcome back, Mrs. Future. Why, thank you. Welcome back, Bobby. You're out there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. All thank right. You. Great. And Dr. Bruce Lipton in the studio here. We've been talking about all kinds of interesting things, new ways of looking at evolution. As a matter of fact, that's your new book, isn't it? Well, uh, it's coming together at some point. You know, I was like, what, write a theory of evolution? Oh, yeah, I'm just a guy from Santa Cruz going to write some evolution <laughs> theory or something. Yeah, but I think I <laughs> well, will. Yeah, you did write, <laughs> well, write spontaneous evolution. Well, I think evolution does start here. Yeah. A lot yeah. of evolution takes well, this is a the science reveals, you know, the problem with projecting evolution is like, what are you basing on? We used to say it was based on genes. Say, oh, from primitive organisms, as you go up the tree of life, there's more and more and more genes. And when you get to the top, we were supposed to have over 100,000 genes in the genome. Yeah. And then they found there were only 20,000 genes, which is the same number as in some of the most primitive organisms on the planet. So the first thing is that <laughs> counting genes is not a way to measure evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Did they apologize? Newsflash. Um, Darn counting is, is limited. He's rolling around in it because he got away with it this long, but it's uh, it's coming to an end of Darwin, really, and yeah. really a rejoicing of Lamarck and Lamarck. Well, he was disputed, wasn't he? Uh, Darwin Lamarck? replaced Lamarck. In Dar terms yeah, of well, Lamarck never got too far. Uh, the yeah. reason is this: uh, it, it was the Royal Society in France, and they have the rich, rich, you know, royal people. And then Lamarck was like a poor upper class person, so he was upper class by breeding, but no money, so he was useless for them at some point. So, in the stratified, I'd say they they'd read him, but not take him seriously. <laughs> so the the head of the yeah. society was Baron Cuvier, and he's the guy who discovered paleontology. Uh -huh. But he was a devout Christian. 
So he had to say, how did the dinosaurs disappear? And then he said, oh, there were sometimes catastrophes. So then he put in catastrophes as a evolution thing, you know, but not evolution, just a, because he said, what, God makes something that didn't work right? You know, it's like, oh, dinosaurs didn't work right. No, no, God, <laughs> it was just a catastrophe. Yeah, perfect so, catastrophes. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. but when Napoleon came in, they switched the tables around, the the uh, nobles went down, the church went down, and this gave uh, people went up. Lamarck, yeah. people, he came up to the top, wow. he wrote the theory of evolution, and it was profound, you know, because unlike Darwin, who was chicken to say that humans were involved in the evolution, Lamarck said right off, yeah, we're part of this scheme. So that was really cool, but Napoleon came down because he lost. Oh. And the church came back, the nobles came back, and Cuvier, who was so angry at being demoted under the poor well, Lamarck, when he got back on top, he scandalized Lamarck. He wrote terrible things. It was just... Well, okay, for the uninitiated, can you Explain a little bit more what his basic uh, Lamarckian Lamarck. theory was. That, that Basically was so revolutionary. simple. The first thing he said was animals and environment are in a lockstep interaction. So is that a coincidence? He said, no, that's not a coincidence. There's an instruction between the environment and the heredity of the organism so that the organism fits so there's like no polar bears in Africa and, the, and there's no roses in, in the Arctic. It's like everything fits. So he came up and he first, you know, put the lineage and said that the evolution occurred as organisms moved into different environments and then the environment and the organisms started to connect with each other, which today is called epigenetics. Mm -hmm. uh, Your field. That, that's the field. And, and, mm -hmm. and so Lamarck was right that organisms adapt to the environment. So why did, why did Darwin disagree with that? There was a guy behind Darwin that most people don't talk about. His name is Thomas Malthus. Malthusian. Malthusian. He's the Malthusian. Scary yeah. name. There's not enough for all of us. That's Some of us have to die scarcity. because That's starvation is our destiny. A scarcity model. Well, that, that was a scarcity model. So the yeah. plants don't reproduce as fast as animals. Animal populations double. Plants just go one, two, three, four, five. Animals go two, four, six, eight. The point is, inevitably, there's going to be too many animals, not enough food, and then that's built built into Darwinian theory, why animals had to get stronger, evolve differently so they could beat the other ones and get the food. Get so the limited amount of food. That sounds like available. the survival yeah. of the fittest. Well, that's exactly where the whole theory was predicated upon, okay? Uh -huh. The only thing is that Malthus was wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. Because two parents leave behind two parents in a normal situation. Mm -hmm. And the world population is growing. But I said, but why is it growing? I said, in countries where there's a social security. As you get old, you're not going to be thrown on the street. The birth rates are actually less than two children, children per two parents. Per, for two parents. It's less. So the U.S. is like 1.5 or 6 kids for every two parents. We mean, a decrease in population. But you go to other countries, especially impoverished countries, and you start to find, like India, it's like, well, how many kids can you have? I say, well, you need each kid to give you a little piece of their earning. And each person earns so little that in order to get a substantial piece to survive as a parent, you have to have half a dozen kids hmm. <laughs> to each give you a little piece. So all of a sudden you say, well, the birth rate over there is six hmm. kids for parents, and here it's one and a half kids for parents. And, and all of a sudden you say, so what does the world need? And the answer is to reduce the population is to give security to old people. Hmm. <laughs> and then, or at least have to parents who are planning their old age. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So that that's been an issue uh, of why the population's 
increasing. And, and the point is because there's something called the biological imperative. And people go, what the hell is that? And I go, every organism, every organism is built in with a drive to survive. Even a bacterium. You, you, know, you want to kill yeah. a bacterium? It's not going to say, okay, kill me. It's going to do everything in its ability to stay alive. Yeah, so, that's why the mosquitoes avoid us. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I got a good story about that yeah, one, yeah. too. <laughs> so the idea is this. Yeah. When threats come to a, a species, yeah. the species will generally reproduce more rapidly and also at younger ages. Oh. And this is what we're seeing in our kids today sexually maturing at 10, 11, and when it used to be much oh, older. Oh, it's not the and, internet? And more than, <laughs> it's more the than fact two that we're not surviving? The, well, the, the, the fact yeah. is, everyone has a feeling we're not surviving, but can't pinpoint exactly what that feeling is coming from, but it's like, it's not right. That's the feeling, it's not right. Because there's an energy here in the field that we are going to think that, well, science has recognized that. And people have felt it but they can't put their finger on what is it that we're so anxious about here? What's going on? Well, if we're going extinct, there have never been as many humans on the planet as there are right now. Well, that's because nature increases the population when extinction is faced that there'll be some leftovers <laughs> after the extinction starts. And so if you increase the population, it's a greater chance for that species to survive. I see. And we're in that stage right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, no. we got to keep going with this, but we got to go to a break. Yeah. Gabby says, I blame the bacteria. And aren't we in, aren't we basically existing within a scarcity model today? Yeah. So. Oh, well, well we should fear. definitely give the fear. bacteria a vote in its yeah. own survival. Come on. Okay. That's only fair. All right. All right. We'll be back. Bacteria polling coming up. <laughs> So is that true? We need to raise a little hill? <laughs> <laughs> well, the planet is experiencing it right now, so enjoy. That is you, were, you were saying also during the break that the creation of hell, in a sense, the Dante story was creating the, the fear in our, yeah, in our well, system. When people have a that? fear and mm -hmm. they can't answer it, that, that's a stress. Yeah. And the stress says that I need to, how am I going to survive this fear? And then you look for who's going to help you get through this fear. So you let go of your power and then give power to somebody else who offers you this opportunity. Oh, yeah, the aggregation of power is really the principle that makes the military work. And the whole idea of fealty to your sovereign is all about getting all the people to give up their individual power so that when they all act together, they can dominate somebody else. Hey, welcome to today's world scene. This is what the whole thing has been all about. And the fact is, it's to disempower people. Yeah, uh, well, that's uh, the top-down hierarchy, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah, look, you know, collectively, we're in this evolution. That's a fact. It's been science has been telling us for 15 years, even though the media doesn't want to tell the public and emphasize, look, yeah. you think you've got some issues locally with all this stuff. There's something bigger over the whole thing here. We're going through this extinction process. So the idea is there has been an effort to contain a population that will potentially explode if things like the economic system collapses. 
It's like, what the hell are you going to do? The whole planet will be in, you know, upheaval at something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, Sri Lanka, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you see examples of it in the news where it's hitting first, right? This is what we're looking at. This is why I say you have to see what's happening as this process is coming down, okay, so we can deal with it. And yet the government people or the leadership, I don't know who the hell they are, it's not me, this COVID thing yeah. was... To me, as an immunologist, in the sense of that's what I've been teaching as a professor for 13 years now, mm-hmm. as an immunologist, when I looked, I said, oh, man, this is a setup. This is a complete setup. Yeah, they broke all the rules and gave us a whole new fabricated story and then marched us into a whole new world. Yeah, but look what was the most important thing is separate, put masks on, don't talk to each other, keep away from each other. I go, evolution is community. What this process was was de-evolution. People only have power in a community. Mm-hmm. And if the community doesn't exist, then there's no power anywhere. So you're saying this is divide and conquer strategy? Well, it's a way of getting ready for this thing is going to have a problem coming up, you know, within the next decade or so. This whole thing is going to, is falling apart. And well, everybody's expecting a crisis. Everybody's in crisis mind right now. Yeah, and the crisis is inevitable because the system is not sustainable. That's a simple fact right there. At this point, I think it takes like, if everybody in the world lived like Americans, mm-hmm. it would take uh, four over four Earths. If we live just like we live here, it would take four Earths to support us, okay? Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought we were, were the worst, but it was Australia, which has, takes five Earths to support the Australian population. Mm-hmm. But when you put all the populations together, there are poorer ones. India doesn't even require an Earth to run its population. But when you put them together, it comes out, I think it's 1.6 worlds are needed to sustain the planet as of today. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no point six world. So well, there's yeah. Mars. The asteroid belt is far but away. Elon says we need a million people on Mars to have a sustainable human economy. Yeah, a million well, people. That's a thousand spaceships. I don't know. If we need 1.6 yeah. Earths, that means we got to send yeah. at least 4 billion there, I think. Well, the, yeah. the, this is the issue. Or let's change the thing. I mean, and we, just before we got off, you know, yeah. I mentioned something that was very critical. And I said uh, digesting food is shortening our lifespan. We eat too much food with the program. It's a program. Oh, it's breakfast. Eat breakfast. Oh, it's lunchtime. Eat lunch and dinner. Are you hungry? Well, no, it's lunchtime. No, so let's eat. So what did you say the biological possibility for how long we would live would be? Uh, With what? uh, For humans. Uh, 150 years? 150 years is a collective opinion that if it wasn't for the the way we are sabotaging our own life experiences here with many other things between the pharmaceutical drugs and the pollution and everything else we're doing is shortening our lifespan. But food is one of the big ones. And, uh, And the reason is this is because we are laboring under a false belief at this moment that we need the food as fuel to break it down to make energy for the body, okay? That's, mm. that's the story. But there's a new insight coming, and this is like the most amazing thing, and it's uh, the pigment in our skin is called melanin, okay? Yeah. Where did the insight come from? They had a robotic device go into the atomic plant that blew up in Russia, uh, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Uh, they had a, a, a device go in there with a camera uh, that periodically into the reactor area, just seeing what the hell's going on. Yeah. About two years after the explosion, they started noticing black fungus growing on the wall. The same kind, it's like in the shower and the shower curtain where we keep a lot of humidity at some point. Uh, And they said, wait, this black fungus is growing in the reactor. It's like, huh? (laughs) You know, that's the first way it was a big issue. So they tried to assess how this was going about. Guess what they found? That the 
pigment that make it black is melanin, the same as we have in our skin. But it's a crystal, and here's the cool part. It transduces other forms of energy into biological fuel, photonic energy, electromagnetic field energy, radiation energy. The melanin crystal picks up that energy and then translates it into a usable fuel for the cells. Wow. So all of a sudden they started looking and said, well, wait, we're all covered in our skin. Unless you're albino, everybody's covered with melanin. And the point about it is we used to say, oh, that blocks the sun from the UV light from burning us. And it goes, no, now today, up to 90% of the energy of the body will come from just transducing the environmental energy in the field and converting it into biological fuel, hence breatharians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And so the point is, and, we, and then you put that when you say, well, yeah, but look at the diet we're doing. I say, yeah, but look at the waste product of the diet, the free radicals. And I say, that's what's killing people. The free radicals kill cells. The more you eat, the more cells you ultimately kill, especially neurons. They're, you they're sound more- like Aubrey de Grey. No! (laughs) Well, I mean, he does talk about how much of the metabolic process is just unnecessary and waste management, you know? Well, so the point about it is this. If we cut all that need for food back, and you can't just do it because, oh, okay, let's stop eating now. I say, no, I don't think you got to really wean yourself up because we have a program, addiction program to food. Hmm. You can't just stop. Every organism in a laboratory situation, when they cut down to what they call subsistence food, just enough to get by, double the lifespan of all the laboratory organisms. Hmm. Intermittent That's fasting, part of right? it. That's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Reduce the diet mm-hmm. and intermittent fasting. And I say, then what? Then you won't have to cut down the rainforest to make more hamburgers. Yeah, and that go. was the point because we were destroying the ecosystem to manufacture the food that we've been addicted to. Sure. And if we reduce this, then all of a sudden we have plenty of food. We have more than enough food. Well, again, it comes down to less about the problem than how we're approaching each other. Because the problem with people not having enough food has never been about capacity to feed people. It's been about willingness to solve the problem. Oh, but then you bring Charlie Darwin back in again. And that's why, interesting enough, in Africa, there's starvation. A million people die. In the United States, we have breatharians that don't essentially eat hardly anything, and they're thriving. So what's the difference? I say the belief system is different. (laughs) Well, is food addiction as serious as drug addiction? Well, it's serious collectively on the planet, yeah, collectively because it's decimating the environment. The rest of the environment, to, all the, the other creatures. Monocropping and all that other stuff and the, right. the toxic chemicals in the ground and the air, all this other stuff. It's like we're doing that to sustain a food binge. That's not really necessary. And mind you, I love food. I mean, a good meal is exciting. But the fact was, the idea of supersizing those meals, so working desperately here, just using a smaller dinner plate, but I'm stacking a little bit high. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the idea is, put it on this plate and and, and finish what's on this plate. Watching the carbs and sugar? Oh, God. (laughs) Worst drug. Yeah, sugar is a kind of a drug. Oh, it is a drug. It is a drug, Uh, for sure. But the body loves it for some reason. Well, that's because it craves that thrill of, oh, look at the energy. Boom! I just got hit by energy. You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, kids love it. (laughs) Well, that's where it started. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I loved it. (laughs) You guys... Oh, go ahead, There's also bacteria... Yeah, there's also bacteria in the gut that... Loves it, too. ...that sends signals, and 
the good bacteria, the probiotics, they send serotonin and oxytocin signals through the vagus nerve up to the brain. But then there's the other ones that want to supersize you, you know, <laughs> and they say, bring food like what comes from McDonald's and more of it. And they're sending <laughs> those signals to the brain saying, oh, we need more and we're never full. This is 100% accurate. That's 100% accurate. That our microbiome, or the bacteria you're talking about, and one of the things that yes. people don't recognize is, well, our digestive system can break food down into chunks with acid and then enzymes break it into smaller pieces. It's the bacteria that are the last interface that take the small pieces and break it down into building blocks that we have. That's why bacteria are, are part of the human organism. That's why we talk to, as humans now, they call super organism because we have as many or more bacterial cells as we have human cells that are required for our survival. And this is why if, if you have a spout of diarrhea, you've wiped out the bacteria that were necessary for that final digestion of the food. And that's why you gotta use probiotics mm -hmm. to get back in there. And, uh, and that's yeah. what we just heard, the good bacteria, put them back yeah. in the system. They're an important part of who we are. Yeah, so uh, we're not we, really we just... cannot live without them, so that's a simple fact. Yeah, <laughs> so we're basically, we're more than just human cells. We're, you know, I heard as much as 10 to one for a bacteria. Well, there's yeah. some number that yeah. is large. Huge like that, it's right? very large, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that's us too. Uh, no. And people don't recognize this also because uh, I teach immunology and we say, well, you know, all the immune system protects us. I say the first level of the immune system is the microbiome because it covers all the surfaces. So if something comes to attack you from the outside, our own bacteria, which have a healthy community, will try and kill all the invaders. Yeah. I wonder if they're part of our thinking process, too. They are. We just heard that because that was, uh, it yeah, alters they uh, it. the hormones from them affect us. Yeah. But they don't think themselves. Not like her. They just affect our humans. Okay, we'll be right back. I really for like your, that song. Yeah, we somehow we keep hearing it. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, yeah. I want to thank Bobby for cutting in and giving us a scientific insight because he was right on. Thank Bruce, you. you are right on all day today. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. Let's see if our caller is on the same page. So, all right. We I want to say hi yeah. to Mark in Watsonville. Hi, okay. Mark in Watsonville. Hey, Mark. Hi. Hi, how are y'all doing? Hey, I, I got some questions. Earlier on, you were bringing up the concept of vertical farming. I'm involved in, you know, this area around here, uh, Santa Cruz, Monterey County, is a, a big agriculture area. And I'm involved with horizontal. Mm -hmm. um, the concept of vertical farming is, I guess you bring the crop production closer to the urban centers, and you're growing it in a building and on a vertical wall, which is interesting. My uh, question is, and we run into this in horizontal farming, what would be the water source near these urban areas for this farming operation? 
Uh, that's a great question because questioning where the water source is coming for all of us these days is questionable a bit because of the climate change. So we're all in trouble in that regard. And farmers and people who are doing the research like you're doing also recognize that we can clean the water as well. And so there's opportunity for major recycling of the water, which is going to be necessary because I think most of it's going to be yeah. uh, out of human consumption yes. at some point. And, and we've covered some stories on some new ways of getting water from the air, yeah. much more effective. But and, I, and the I, of the ocean. I, Where I are wanted... you getting your water, Mark? Well, currently we're storage, you know, the reservoirs. Then the majority is groundwater through wells. But we also have two water recycling programs. The CSIP program, we're producing about 14,000 acre feet a year for ag use. My question for farming operations near urban cities. areas, if yes. they can't recycle, they're going to be utilizing uh, municipal water. And city water is very expensive. And the other problem with city water has chlorine and fluoride in it. And I don't know if you want to put that on, on your crops. I agree with you 100% on that. And the issue is, you know, where is anybody going to get the water? Now, that was a big part of your program to make sure you got some recycling of the water. And that is most important. I don't care where the farming is occurring. So that's a really critical part. And anything you could, of course, offer the rest of the world would, would help. The urban farms, do they have to be in the city itself? No, just they could be out in the suburbs of the city. Well, I know there's an old nursery here that David Bloom has converted into a big vertical farm where you've got this amazing stuff growing down from the ceiling of these old greenhouses. Yeah. yeah. And some of that vertical farming is rotating like trays that move up on a conveyor belt and then down so that they can mm -hmm. regulate the, the light cycle and the temperature cycles and all that as it goes through the rotation up and then down through the mm -hmm. building. So very tight control, but that's why it was three times more productive than outdoor farming. Yeah, well, systems thinking, right? You got to really look at the location very specifically and think about how many mouths you're going to feed and how much of that is going to come from the local vertical farms. <laughs> Well, the other thing, David Bloom and his Whiskey Hill, he's using well water. The other thing is, now you have these vertical farms, you know, near urban centers, near suburbs. Chicago's different than here. If you have this farming operation in Chicago, you're going to have quite an energy input to heat it in the wintertime, aren't you? So uh, would it be better to have field-grown crops in California, southern Arizona, versus a high-energy input uh, vertical farm operation in uh, Wisconsin or Michigan I, or I, any yeah. other states. I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, that's an example for why the movie industry started in New York, and they said, go out to California. The sun's out all the time. You can make movies all the time. It's like, yeah, go yeah. to the destination that supports what the intention is. And, uh, yeah, and climate is so critical, and it's like... I'm a little nervous about the climate myself because being a Californian, we go through some cycles of drought that sometimes are 500 years and cycles. And uh, hopefully, this is not one of them. <laughs> I, hopefully, it, it released rain a couple of weeks back. <laughs> yes, I was very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, your your work is critical in the indoor farming. That is. To me, the, look, we have to be much more efficient at it. At the same time, then balance it by people eating less 
And all of a sudden, then, there you go. then there's great support. Grow more, enough. be smart locally, manage your resources wisely, and eat less. That's I like called it. evolution. Thanks, right. Mark. Yeah. Appreciate your call. Well, yeah, wait, point of order, though. I make, I make more money when people eat more. Well, we got to work on the reward system, too. All right, thank you. Got to go. Wendy in San Lorenzo Valley. Hi, Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Oh, hello. You, you left me on a great line there, that you need to eat more. No, no, no. Uh-uh. No, you don't. No, no, no. no. He just, our, no, our farmer friend. Get, yeah. He just no. felt like it's far, good for farmer. his business. Yeah, the farmer. Boost is all for eating less. No, no, no. I, oh, no, I'm not. I'm talking to the farmer. I don't want rich people paying huge amounts of money for gold-plated food. Okay. If they're going to pay lots of money, let's give it to them scientifically, know exactly what they're getting in it. Hey, we need to talk to the farmer to make sure that this is going to work with your biochemistry at the, at the time. Actually, look at ourselves, ourselves inside the environment. The environment is around us. It's outside your door. It doesn't matter if you're in a condo and someone's taking care of it. It is still part of you. And we have separated ourselves so much. You know, we don't know, oh, well, we need an acid-based stomach if we're going to eat meat, but we need a, an alkaline if we're going to have starch. Okay, good together, stuff, we, Wendy. Do you have a question for Bruce? Actually, one specific one, and that was during COVID, they turned away from cleaning. From it was just not stressed at all. You know, cleaning what? It was all airborne. Do you, I don't know. I think those hand sanitizers were clean, part of the cliche. You say cleaning your hands more than you ever did before? It, it became much, much less as time went on, and they had a, a study go on, and I guess that everyone used this that said that if COVID didn't transfer well, they couldn't grow it well off of surfaces. But that was off of a surface that was not, you know, getting it on your hands and your eyes, okay. et cetera. It just seemed like well, it was... Well, I'm going to let Bruce answer yet. what he thinks about that. Okay, we got it. The right, board thanks. is full. Thanks, Wendy. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. The question came down to... COVID and cleaning? You COVID got any cleaning. comments on that? Well, she thinks it went down less, but, you know, we saw antiseptics everywhere, right? Uh, I want to tell you, if you travel yeah. in the airplane like I do, there's a moment after you come in and everybody gets handed a little alcohol packet, and then as they're sitting down, the whole place, you could get dizzy from everybody opening up all the alcohol in the, the airplane <laughs> at the same time. It's like, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest issue is really, is your immune system working up to its capability? That is the whole secret of why some people went through this thing with no effects at all. Some people didn't even know they had COVID until they did a test and found out they did. Yeah. And those that had a poor immune system were the ones that ended up in the hospital. This is where now your question comes in really important. Well, they keep you know saying about, oh, let's kill the virus and keep away from all this stuff. Nobody actually said, why don't we get healthy? Why don't we enhance the Well, the people who did got heavily censored. The local doctors were more holistic doctors, tended to support that, but that was never heard from the CDC. No, no, because they were they were looking for the target virus. And look, very simple point. Wolves, we always thought, were just a menace because they kill animals. Then we got rid of the wolves, and then we found things started to go out of balance. And the significance is when wolves are attacking, let's say, a herd of animals, they don't go after the strong one. Only humans go after the strong one. The wolf goes after the weakest the stragglers, one. stragglers, right? Uh, and that's yeah. the, the one that would, you know, whose genetics would take the, the thing down. So they're cleaning mm -hmm. up the genetics. Only the strong ones are the ones that are not affected by this. This is true for COVID. Who was affected? It was the people who were weak, the people who weren't healthy. Yes. The people that were healthy flew. People that weren't healthy in the hospital and it could have been terminal. 
And so, yeah, uh, why should we, you keep fighting the virus but not giving anybody advice of how can you be healthier? Yeah. Because the virus was the wolf. There yeah. you go. All right, well, do you want to keep going? We, yeah, the board is just lit eat, up. Eat the week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, not we got Steve from Topanga Canyon. Hi, Steve. Okay. Hi there, son. Hey, Hi, Steve. Steve. That's Dr. Hey, Steve Sidroff, who uh, Nice to hear you from you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm enjoying the conversation very much. Bruce, I really appreciate your perspective. I love you bringing in the historical perspective with regard to Darwin and Lamarck. That's, that was very interesting information. I had a, a question for you around this notion. Um, you know, we think about the aging process where we start to see signs of aging when we even turn into the 20s and 30s. And from one evolutionary perspective that I've heard is that we're designed so that we are, as a species, most efficient. And so we need to live until we can reproduce, and then we need to live long enough until our offsprings are independent. But after that, if we don't serve a purpose, we are using up valuable resources. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was thinking from a Lamarckian perspective and from an epigenetic perspective, and I'm glad you brought in epigenetics, it would seem to me that if a person really felt they had an important purpose in their life that served humanity, that that might influence all of these dynamics from an epigenetic perspective. And I was wondering what you thought about that. I'm going to tell you right now, you're right on about the whole thing for this understanding. When DNA is copied, imagine a DNA like a railroad track and that the enzyme that copies it is like a, an engine, a steam engine, diesel, whatever, running down the railroad track. When it gets to the end of the railroad track, you see, it copies the DNA that it passes over. You got that? But when, yeah. it, the, say, the locomotive is now at the end of the track, guess what? It cannot copy where it's sitting on the last piece of the track. So the new copy is shorter than the original length of the track because it couldn't copy it. Then the next time you copy it, the track gets shorter again. So nature put at the end of the DNA extra railroad track that doesn't code for genes. It's just extra track so that you can reproduce and every time lose a piece of that track and, and still have a piece of the track. And that aging is associated with the fact that you start running out of the track. Now when you copy the DNA, you're actually cutting out pieces of the genes and that's where aging comes from. So they first said... Are those the telomeres that you're Telomeres. To? They're called telomeres. Yes. They're just extra track, no program. And so they said, oh, well, then a human life is determined by how long the track is. And then a woman, Elizabeth Blackburn, discovered an enzyme called telomerase. Telomerase extends the track. And I say, so what is the point? I say, if you're involved with service, as you mentioned, you have something to do in this world, you activate the enzyme. If you love your life, you activate the enzyme. If you're in gratitude for having a life experience, you activate the enzyme. If you're in love, you activate the enzyme. I say, why? All these are conditions that extend your life because the longer the track is, the more reproduction you can do. So aging is not supporting those enzymes, which means you're, you're not really supporting your reason to be here. All right. Thanks, Steve. Love Great question. Got to go to a break. Okay. Love that, Bruce. Thank you. I look forward to you on our summit. I look forward to you being there. Thanks, Steve. Every blinking Bye -bye. cursor.
Okay, we're in our final segment with uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Uh, boy, it's gone fast, Bruce. <laughs> Every time I have to say I enjoy this and I, I enjoy our audience. Yeah. Because our audience, uh, the audience is really engaged, and, and this is what the whole thing about evolution is, not talking down to people, but talking with people. So yeah. I appreciate what Dr. and Mrs. Future <laughs> are bringing to the stage here, an opportunity for a community. Well, Thanks. I'm so glad you're, you're bringing up relevant topics for us to look at. Yeah. Uh, we still have Steve on the line? Steve but, is uh, still there, yeah. you have any more questions, Steve, or do you want to share something I, with the audience? I'm looking forward, Bruce, to having you join Rob Lufkin and I on our summit on longevity, and it looks like you have some very incredible things to add to the conversation. Lots of wonderful things, because we're moving into a much better way of living on this planet, which is where our health is going to come from. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Great Steve. Great to hear from you. We'll see you, see okay. you later. All right. Bye. Let's Bye -bye. keep it going here. We got Kenny Watts. Hi, Kenny. Hi. Hi, all. Hey, I want to have a question. Well, first of all, I want to let you know that I keep a copy of uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief <laughs> yeah. and a copy of Greg Braden's The Wisdom Codes on my nightstand. Wow. And, right. and I'm, I've been reading them for both for years now, and I just keep going back to them because it's a feast, you know. I want to thank you, and uh, just so I want you to know that I didn't write it. I downloaded it. <laughs> it, came, it came from somewhere else, and I put my pen on it. That's how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> I, the I love the case. <laughs> but you approve this message. I, <laughs> I have a yeah. question. So in reading the biology of belief and, and listening to Dr. Bruce for so many years now, I wondered how Rupert Sheldrake's theories of you know, morphic uh, fields and morphic resonance doesn't that dovetail nicely with your ideas of how the cells are, you know, have their antennas on the membranes? and A hundred percent. And it was interesting because when I um, wrote to Rupert 30, 40 years ago, and I gave him a little outline of what I was doing, and he says, oh, you're anthropomorphizing, saying the cell membrane's like a chip. And he sort of neglected it. And I said, but if you understand this, explains your entire thing about how the energy, the morphogenic fields, how they're picked up by the cells. And then later, he actually then started to understand what the hell I was talking about. And the fact is, yeah, the cell membrane is the interface between the morphogenetic field and the biology underneath the membrane itself. That the membrane is the brain of the cell. It's an information processor by every definition in engineering, chemistry, physics. It's a processor. Every cell is a chip in your body, and every chip has the genome where it could become anything, skin, brain, bone, muscle, and it could become anything. But you program that chip. And that's why all cells are basically the same, but the programs call up different genetic programs, the, the activity. And this is controlled by the environment. And then all of a sudden, then I say, well, that's what Rupert Sheldrake is talking about, the environment. Uh, and I know that uh, my dear friend here, Dr. Future, we talked about on the break at one point, we talked about the nature of spirituality. And I said, I was not a spiritual scientist. I believed in genes and proteins and cells and all that stuff. But once I understood the nature of the membrane as the information processor, then also saw that on each of us as individual humans, 
Each of us has a different set of receptors, which are antennas, okay? Receptors, receivers. Like a Wi-Fi kind of thing? The, I mean, well, every, every cell has Wi-Fi? <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's a, and, yeah. yeah, and there's no glitch in that baby. Some, I hope so. I hope not. Uh, well, <laughs> let's go back to the fact was what was special about it. They're called self-receptors. Right away, that gives you an indication of something. Mm -hmm. And I say, what is it? I say, well, these receptors are on the outside of the cell. So self is a signal picked up from the environment. And then when I started to understand, I said, oh my God, when you put the quantum physics in there, the signals are energy fields. Field is field, definition field, invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. And I go, oh my God, definition of spirit. Invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. And I got, oh my God, quantum physics, and this is like connecting to Rupert Sheldrake's morphogenetic fields. Each of us is receiving our own identity broadcast that nobody else is receiving because our cells have a set of antennas only tuned to our vibration. And that's why if you put foreign cells in your body, the immune system checks out those receptors and says, that's somebody else, and the immune system will reject or eliminate them from the population. And so all of us, I'm going over this, I said, oh my God, I'm not in here. I am a broadcast being received by my 50 trillion cells with their antennas. And I said, well, then I can't die. That hit me the first thing. He says, why? I'm not in here in this body. You're the you know, TV program? <laughs> uh, well, that, this is it. The, yeah. So the body is the TV. Yeah. And when people watch the TV and then breaks, they say, oh, TV is dead. And I go, yeah. The broadcast is still there. Show's still going. That's it. And then another body shows up with the same antennas as you in the future, and you're back online. But does it make a difference if that TV is male or female? Nope, that's the TV. Does it make a difference? White, brown, black, red, yellow. I go, no, that's a TV. We are not the TV. We're the broadcast. Mm. And all of a sudden, I say, oh, my God. Oh. I can't die. I'm an energy field. And the energy field is here. Oh, one last very interesting experience. Brian O'Leary, astronaut, science guy. Yeah. Working yeah. with a friend of mine, Cleve Baxter. Yes. Who was mm. the, the plant guy. Plant guy. Yeah. Plants. Uh, and he was using lie detector technology galvanometer response to check energy. So yeah. here's a, a simple story, which then you, you just have to say, oh. And the story is this. He took cells from Brian O'Leary, put them in a test tube, moved them 350 miles away, the test tube with the cells, but he had the electrical readout. So it was sent to where Brian O'Leary was sitting in a room, so the television was split screen. On one side was a picture of Brian O'Leary sitting in the room, mm -hmm. and on the other side was the electrical activity from the cells 350 miles away. Mm. The moment Brian O'Leary had an emotional response instantaneously, the cells 350 miles away activated themselves. Ooh, quantum no, effects. Well, it's basically saying we're not focused on this body because wherever the cells were that had the antennas, they're like a TV. That's another, that test tube is like a small TV 350 miles away, still responding to the same broadcast. Wow. And all of a sudden it says, yeah, your identity is not locked in here. It's in the field, and the field hits where if you put your cells in different places, they'll receive that signal wherever they are. Oh, can okay. I have several bodies at once? Well, the, yeah, well, actually, here's what happens. This yeah. is so cool. Let's so cool for a second, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, quickly, uh, cool yeah. is this. When a woman is carrying a baby, a, a fetus, that the yeah. stem cells from the fetus also intermingle and integrate into the mother's system. Mm -hmm. And they discovered that they can be stem cells in the mother because they saw regenerated cells in a woman with Y chromosomes, which only come from males, and they start track it down. And 
And it turned out a large number of the stem cells from her child go into the brain. Mm-hmm. And I go, why is that relevant? That's like a test tube uh-huh. with the cells of the child. And I say, so with significance, just like Brian O'Leary showed, if the child is in trouble somewhere, that broadcast is picked up by the cells of that child in the mother's brain. Wow. And she has an experience that something is wrong with her child. Mm-hmm. And this is, there's because just so much data. She's got those cells right That's, there. That was it. In and resonance. They, they so, yeah. Look, a form of telepathy in a way. Wow. Well, it's, a, it's yeah. keeping track of your own children. Where are yeah, they? <laughs> yeah, right. And you could track them More down. Pragmatic. But right. it's so cool because yeah. that, again, supports that there's a spiritual aspect to us and that if the mother is the test tube with the stem cells from the child, if the child's having a problem, the stem cells in the mother will simultaneously engage and then give her a signal that something is wrong with Beautiful. their child. Wow. Beautiful. What a could, world we live in. Thanks for that, some the, Could some of this be connected to quantum entanglement? A hundred percent of this. <laughs> yeah. Just a hundred percent is connected. <laughs> it's a quantum entangled uh, experience we're having here, huh? Right, it is. Yeah. Everything right. is entangled. Do you, do we have another caller? We, we do. We've got people. Okay, the last minute. Everyone waiting. calls. Okay. Last minute. Yeah. Okay, uh, hi, Cruz from Santa Cruz. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking that. Yes, so you guys were talking about COVID earlier, and I don't know, there's a commercial on KSGO that says it's, it's not about the, the fittest, it's about the healthiest. And I totally, totally believe that because I myself never got COVID. I have a lot of friends that got COVID. My wife got COVID. My daughter got COVID. You didn't, huh? I was, all, I was around them all the time. And, and to be honest with you, I've never, never, never gotten sick. I never took the flu shot for when people yeah. get cold and... We should have and, samples uh, of your artist. Right. <laughs> so you're a living example of a positive immune system. Well, yeah, basically, yeah. very quickly, is that COVID is a coronavirus. That's a species. There are different versions of coronavirus. COVID is one. But the annual flu is frequently coronavirus, so there's cross-reactivity. If you've had a flu in the past, there's cross-reactivity with the COVID virus, and that's why some people got the infection and didn't even know they had it because their immune system with cross-reactivity prevented that the COVID from expressing itself. Okay, well, thank you for calling. It's been a great show, everybody. Show Thanks you. for callers. Yeah. And sorry we couldn't get to everybody, but, you know, it's that kind of show. Yeah. This is KSEO Santa Cruz. And what take, take us out, you guys. What else you got to say? Yeah, you're going out to Europe soon, right? You're... Three weeks in yeah. Europe, no no vaccines required. I can go. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's a big difference because you can go to New Zealand yet. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. All right. That's our second home. Mm. All right, well, Bruce, thanks for being part of the show. It's really I, great to have you. Hey, uh, thanks yeah, for being thank you, Bruce. I, I yeah. love our people. Yeah, yeah it's good, good homeland. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. Appreciate your attention. Thanks for the honor of your awareness. And we uh, see you next week. That's right. Stay tuned for more traffic news and weather from your favorite radio station, KSEO. Bye for now.